0: Good morning, Rocky Peak. Good to see you as we head towards Christmas. I'm just curious, how many of you have all your Christmas shopping done? I got you done? Great, okay. How many of you haven't started? Can I see your hands? Yes. About equal proportions. All right, great. I just wanna know who I'm talking to. Uh, those of you who are done, you're probably going to focus in on the message. Those of you who are not done, you're probably thinking of gifts, you know, that you, you get, so the, the topic will be appropriate today. Uh, anyway, my name's Michael. If uh, we have any chance to meet, I uh, want to welcome you. Whether you're here in our worship center, you're joining us out in the patio. Uh, we're going to be going to our time of teaching and looking forward to this passage. It's uh, inside your program. It's a green and white message note sheet. We use it every week. I know that for those of you who are here, every week you, want, you know that, but for those of you who are new, you may not. You'll definitely want to take that out, and we'll, um, it'll be helpful. And so we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yes. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Spirit that leads us and strengthens us and empowers us to listen and follow you. And today, Lord, as we come to an incredibly important passage of Scripture, such a gift to us as your followers, we We pray that your Holy Spirit would just apply it to our life in a beautiful way, in a way that we see it with fresh eyes, with a a depth and a clarity, perhaps more than ever before, and that we receive this incredible gift you offer to us as we approach uh, the celebration of your birthday. And we pray in your name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 So, uh, our story starts today uh, early in the morning. And honestly, They have been working so hard. Uh, Most of their days, they've been up at dawn. They have been working the whole day and often way way into the night. And so so this particular day, they get up, they have breakfast, and as a team, they head out to their first site. And sure enough, um, it is a challenging day. It's a long day. It's a hot sun. And uh, by the end of the day, they're exhausted, and, and they just kind of wish they could go home, um, get some dinner, uh, go to sleep, catch up on some of their, some well-needed well rest. But that's not in the cards. And it turns out that they're going to have to travel a fair distance before they reach their final destination and can finally get some rest. And so uh, they, they, they all pile in, and they head out. And and honestly, there's nothing that's happened on this particular day that would suggest that this day is going to be any different than those that have come before or come after. Uh, This seems normal enough, what they're heading out to do. And yet the reality is, is that uh, what's about to happen is going to shape them for the rest of their lives. Well, today we're continuing this series that uh, we've been in this entire year called Signs. And for those of you who are brand new, and like I said, I know every week God's bringing new people to join us, that for those of you who are new, this is an in-depth study of the life of Jesus, but it's a, a study that's it's based through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, a man that, that we know as the beloved disciple. Uh, his name is John. We know him now as the Apostle John who really towards the end of his life, after all the other gospels are written, kind of writes his account of the life and teaching of Jesus. And if you've been with us the last month or two, we've entered into the second major sub-series of signs. It's called Signs of Path Forward. And this entire series takes place on the last night that Jesus is with his men um, before he's arrested. So it's on the night of the Passover, later this evening he's gonna be arrested, then executed the next day. And so, uh, if you've been with us for the second series, you know, this entire scene, this entire series uh, takes takes place at a time of crisis. Uh, Jesus and his men have come to Jerusalem early in this week on Sunday. They've entered in uh, to get ready for the Passover with hundreds of thousands of other pilgrims. And on this last Sunday, as he entered in the week, he rode in on a donkey to the, the praise of many in the crowds. Um, but but uh, But... But now it's, uh, now it's you know, Thursday night, um, and his disciples, they seem to believe that Jesus is about to take his supernatural power they've seen at work over the last two or three years, and finally unleash it on Rome and bring in the long-promised kingdom of God. So, so they're entering into this last night, this Passover, with high hopes and great expectations. But the reality is, over the course of this evening, Jesus has begun to let them know what's about to happen, and it's just devastating. He's delivered kind of one big blow after another, as we'll talk about later. But the, the, the biggest of the blows is that Jesus is claiming that he's about to leave and this time they can't come with him. And this is, there's just nothing in the first century messianic paradigm that, that allows for a messiah to come and then to leave. And so they're, they're devastated. And they followed, they've left everything to follow Jesus. And now it's like they've, he's led them into a cul-de-sac. And uh, so their whole lives and hopes have gone up in smoke. And in the midst of this, uh, Jesus is going to begin to speak some hope and courage. And in particular... Um, he's going to talk to them in this passage today about a gift that he's leaving them that will prepare them for their future and enable them to exceed in this mission that he's giving them after he goes. And so we're going to pick up uh, today in a passage of scripture that we actually skipped over uh, several weeks ago because I wanted to save it for this week, this weekend before Christmas. And so it's there on your note sheet. There's a section that's called Signs the Gift. And as you'll see there, we're gonna pick it up at John chapter 14 and pick it up at verse 27. So if you have Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up, uh, turn them on. And so he says in 1427, he says, peace I leave with you. So remember when he's saying this, their lives are falling apart. Their future has just gone up in smoke. They're devastated. And in the midst of this emotional devastation, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So we're going to come back to this later. It's our main text. But I want to finish out this chapter. So he says, you know, if you've heard me say, you know, earlier in the evening that I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. And he said that if you loved me, you'd be glad I'm going to the Father, because the Father, as the kind of the leader of the Trinity, right? The Father is greater than I. So up to this point, Jesus has told them he's leaving, but they've only looked at that through their own lens of what that means for them. They, they've not looked into like what does it mean for Jesus? And for Jesus, this is a homecoming. This is returning to his father. This is a returning to the glory that he shared with the father before the creation of the world. He's excited about this. The time has come for him to go home. But they've just been looking at through their lens. I don't know if you've ever gone through a time like this in your life where there's been sort of a bittersweet type situation, kind of similar to this. I remember when my oldest daughter got married, um, how devastated I was. <laughs> That uh, I, I remember that day, you know, I can picture it in my mind. Um, the you know the, the 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 wedding. That of course I I officiated at that wedding. I watched Father of the Bride three times the night before. Um, I watched it three times so I could ball my eyes out because I otherwise I'll never make it through this whole ceremony. And so um, I, we'd watch it three times the night before the scene. You know, she's out there playing basketball the night before she gets married. And I'm just I'm so upset. And and, and they had one of those slideshows you show in weddings now at receptions to the growing up and I knew I'd never make it through that. And, So I had done everything I could to prepare, and so uh, we got through this wedding, and we've gone through the reception, and now comes that moment where they go out, and they get into the limo, you know, and my heart's just breaking. She's in this backseat of a limo with this weird young man, and I, it's like she's leaving me, you know, she's leaving me, and... Uh, she's only 19 years old. It's like, this is way too young. This is way too young. The only thing I couldn't complain is because I got married at 19, so I couldn't really say this was a stupid decision. Um, Her fiance was 19 as well, the man she was married. And on top of that, both of his parents were 19, so we just had no, you know, it was only my wife that was out of step with this whole thing. And so... But I remember that, and yet it was so sad, and I'm not kidding. I'm watching that thing away, and I'm just like, you know, my heart's going with me. But it was also a time of great joy, because this is what we prayed for uh, our whole lives, and uh, we're just excited about this marriage. They just celebrated their 20-year anniversary, by the way. Um, And and just, you know, and, and so there's moments in life like that, and so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, guys, you know, you're, you're just looking at this through your lens. If you really love me, you'd be excited for me. You know, I, it's a homecoming. Uh, it's a homecoming. Um, and so he says in, in verse 29, he says, so I have told you now um, be, before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe. And so remember, as I said last week, remember last week, he talked about the persecution that was coming to them after he leaves, and there was nothing in their first century paradigm for a Messiah to leave, for a Messiah to die, for persecution to come to the Messiah's father, nothing. And so, so throughout this last night with him, he's saying more than once, he says, I'm telling you what's about to happen, so when it happens, it won't throw you, but it will increase your confidence in me. And then he says, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. Jesus realizes he's on a schedule this last night of his life. He doesn't have a lot of time left. By the end of the evening he's gonna be arrested and so he's, time is running out. He doesn't have a lot more to teach him. He says the prince of this world is coming. So who's the prince of this world? Yes, yeah, Satan, right? He's the god of this world, he's the prince of this world. And, and so what Jesus is saying is that behind this plot to kill Jesus, the mastermind is actually Satan. Uh, we saw this back in John 13 where we're told that, that uh, about Judas, that Satan had not yet come and put in his heart to do what he was, that Satan had already put in his heart what he was called to do. And so, and so Jesus realizes that very soon, Judas and the Roman troops and the, the Jewish officials and so on are gonna be coming. Um, but behind that, Satan is coming. Satan is actually the one coming. And he says, uh, time is running out. I don't have a lot of time to continue teaching you. And he says, um, at the end of verse 20, 30, he says, he has no hold over me. Now, there's nothing on me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father's command. So all through John, we've seen this that Jesus has this deep love for his Father. His top passion in life is to do whatever the Father has called him to do. And he says it's in this final act of obedience that the depth of his love for his Father is gonna be most revealed. And then he says, come now, let us leave. And so, so this whole scene has taken place so far in this upper room where Jesus has washed their feet, where they've had the Passover, And Jesus says, now, come now, let us leave. Now, we don't really know, you know, he he knows that they need to leave this upper room, walk through the city, walk by the temple, go out the gates, go down the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, you know, it's gonna take at least half an hour or so. So that's what, he says, come, let us leave. Now, the reality is we don't know if they really leave at this point because we've got a couple more chapters of teaching here. And so it's hard to tell whether this was one of those times like when my wife says, or more likely, when I say, hey, you ready to go? Yes, we're ready to go. And then we don't leave for an hour. Right. Right? right, like, are you with me there? Yeah. So. So it's like uh, I've learned with her family, you know, plan early. You know, this is going to be, uh, we can say goodbye. We're still going to be here an hour later. So when you're thinking about when you want to leave, you know, that just plan for an hour, right? So... So we don't know if Jesus said, hey, come on, let's leave. And then he just went on teaching, you know, like they got stuck at the door or something. Uh, or whether maybe, I think more likely, they probably did leave at this time. And then as they're going through the city, stopping and praying at different places, uh, especially at the temple where he teaches about, I'm the vine, because there's a huge vine hanging over, a golden vine over the temple. But whatever. So so uh, at this point, he says, let's leave. So so that's the passage for today. Now, what I want to do is I want to focus in, though, uh, on this amazing promise, this uh, gift that Jesus says he's leaving, he's giving to his men, that's going to play such a pivotal role in their life as leaders of his movement moving forward, and that's this gift of peace that he talks about in verse 27. So there in your note sheet, uh, if you go there, uh, to the, the next section, you'll see a section that says, uh, signs the gift of peace. And what I wanna do is I wanna highlight two things that Jesus teaches about this gift of peace, and then come back at the end and get as practical as possible in terms of how do we access this gift that Jesus is giving us. So let's jump in. So the first principle is the most obvious one, is that uh, Jesus gives this, the gift of peace. Um, when I was working on the message this week, I, I kept uh I kept kind of fluctuating between Jesus gives or Jesus offers. Right? Uh, so you might want to write that word offers down, um, because there's definitely a sense in which he's giving it, but we also need to receive it, as we'll see in a minute. And so so Jesus gives this gift of peace. So so um, there in your note sheet, in John 14, 27, here's what he says: the first half of the verse, he says. Peace I leave with you, my peace I what? I give you, right? So he says that, that as he's leaving, he's giving him this gift, this gift of peace. Now, this is Christmas week, and uh, chances are that for, for many, if not most of us, that this week on Christmas or thereabouts, we'll be going to some sort of gathering. Many of us will be giving and receiving gifts. We'll be giving gifts to those we love or to those we feel obligated to give a gift and so we we understand how this works right that that we give we, we give and that and that's what's happening yesterday notice that Jesus says I leave you I, I leave this gift with you uh yesterday uh I got a text from someone uh saying hey I'm gonna leave a gift for you at your house today i want to leave some cookies there and so, sure enough, later in the day, uh, there was this gift that was left for me. And then later in the day, Amazon left many more gifts. But, <laughs> but um, so we understand this concept, right, of giving gifts, of leaving gifts. And Jesus says um, that as I'm leaving, and, and remember the context, their lives are falling apart. Emotionally, they're Devastated. No show of hands, but have you ever been there? They're devastated. Their world is falling apart. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, as I leave, I want to leave a gift for you. I want to give you a gift. It's a very special gift. It's a gift of peace. But notice it's a specific kind of peace. How does he describe it? He says, my peace I give to you. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Jesus, not just in the Gospel of John, but in all the Gospels. But one of the things that's always impressed me about Jesus is how in control of the situation is. Like, nothing seems to throw him. You know what I mean? It's like he's always at peace. It doesn't matter whether he's going through the crowd and a million people are trying to touch him. He doesn't get rattled. Religious leaders are trying to trap him or take him down. He's fine. You know, he's... He maintains his cool. Um, I, I, facing really challenging situations. He's, he's just, a, even at the end of his life when he's before, kind of on trial before the Roman governor Pilate, he's just been whipped and beaten. And and uh, Pilate says, don't you realize who I am? I have the power to crucify you or let you go. And, and even there, Jesus is just a picture of confidence and peace. He says, You know, you'd have no authority over me unless my father gave that to you. Like a picture of peace. One of my favorite scenes from his life, one of my favorite episodes, is is from this story. It takes us back to the story that we started the day with. You know, we started the day with a story about this this team of men who've been working hard every day. This day they get up early, uh, have breakfast, they got to the first site, work hard all day at a hot sun. Uh, th- this is my version of an account from the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. And uh, Mark says in that day Jesus and his men were teaching. You know Jesus was teaching by the Sea of Galilee and uh, I-, I don't know I'm assuming it's a hot day. It's always hot when I'm there. Um, it's just, I'm always just amazed. It's just a very intense sun there and and so, they're, you know, they're out in all day. It comes to the end of the day, and uh, I'm sure they're exhausted. And Jesus says, hey, this is not, we're not going to stay here. We're going to head to the other side of the lake, less populated. We're going to get away from the crowds. And so these, these men, you know, they, like, they gather up into some small boats, we're told. And remember, a lot of these men are used to this. They're fishermen, not all of them, but a lot of them. And so they head out uh, for the other side. I'm sure they're just expecting nothing, you know, out of the ordinary, But it turns out this was not an ordinary day, that something was gonna happen that they would never forget. And what happens is when they get out on the sea, there's a sudden uh, squall, like high winds. Um, And we're told it was very dangerous. In fact, Mark describes it as water is coming over the edge of the boat and filling it up. So you got to picture this. That doesn't happen unless the wind has whipped the, the waves very high. And, and so this, you got to picture this little boat going up and down on this, you know, the thing, and, and now water's coming over the edge. Uh, I'm sure everyone in the boat is soaked. They're, they're scared to death. They're going to go down. And at some point, someone looks back for their leader, Jesus, and he's asleep at the back of a boat. And I I love Mark's account. Mark says his head's on a pillow, all right? right? He's just like, he's like painting a picture for us. This thing's going up and down, water's going over the edge, it's filling up, they're they're in danger of drowning, and Jesus is like sleeping like a baby, which probably shows you how exhausted he is. And so this this is what Mark says, so, oh, it's on your note sheet. I forgot, not my Bible. So Mark says, so that day when evening came, he says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side, you know, the unpopulated side. And so he, he leaves the crowd and they took him along just as he was. And this is one time I'd like, go, what do you mean just as he was? Like, how was he? But uh, anyway, just as he was. So I guess they, they didn't take any preparation, I guess. And so there were also some other boats with them. So these are small boats. This is not like ocean vessels. You know, these are really small fishing boats. Um, and so a furious squall came up, you know, out of nowhere, and um, waves are breaking over the boats. So I've already described that, going up and down like a cork on the sea. Otherwise, the water wouldn't be coming in, right? And uh, and so uh, it says it was nearly swamped. And in the Greek, what it literally says is it was. It was filling. It was getting filled. And so they're looking around for Jesus, and as we'll see, they're all freaking out, and they look around, and their leader is in the stern. He's in the back sleeping on a cushion. And so the disciples wake him up, and and you can tell, you can hear the emotion in their voice. They're just irritated. They said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like, Like, what's wrong with you? In the Greek, it says, don't you care if we're destroyed? And, uh, and so Jesus just gets up and he rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. In the Greek, it's a single world, just silence. Boom. And now they're more scared of Jesus than they were of the, the sea. And then I, but I love his question. I, I'm serious. The last couple of years, I've memorized this whole passage. Because it's just, I love his question. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? And I'm thinking, why are we so afraid? Why are you asleep? I'm so afraid because we're about to die. If we all know you could do that, Maybe we wouldn't have been so afraid. But we're still getting to know you. And, and so, you know, in the Greek, it's even, it's just, it says, why are you so cowardly? <laughs> I love that. Like, what's wrong with you, cowards? And then he says, um, do you still... Have no faith? He doesn't use this term there, but there's this term that Jesus uses for his disciples that is nowhere else in the Greek language. It's like he made up the word. It's two words put together. It's like little or few and the word faith. So he calls them little face. And I love that. I think it's like his affectionate little term. Like, what's wrong with you, little faith? Like, do you still not get it? I love this, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So they're terrified. Like I just said, they were, they they used to be terrified of the storm. Now they're terrified of Jesus. And they ask each other, notice, not him. They ask each other, who in the world is this guy? Like, what have we got ourselves into? Like, even the wind and the waves obey him. It's like only God commands the window. Like, who is this guy? And I love this passage for two reasons. Number one, it gives me a beautiful picture of the peace of Jesus. The boat's about to go down. It's rising and falling. Water's coming over the edge. It's filling up and he's asleep. Sleeping like a baby. It's a piece of Jesus. And we see this piece throughout his life, don't we? We see it throughout his life. But the second thing I love about this, I love Jesus' vision for their lives. In this rebuke, he is painting a picture of what he is doing in their life. Jesus wants to take them to a life beyond fear. That's good. Are you with me? Yeah. He, he doesn't say to them like, hey, I get it why you're afraid. Good, good, good idea, wake me up. You should have done it sooner. <laughs> but I, I get it, I understand. I understand why you're freaked out. Um, I, that makes sense to me. He doesn't give them any space. He just says like, this is not who you should be by this point. And that sometimes we need a rebuke in our life to wake us up. Sometimes we need, sometimes the greatest act of love is a word of rebuke. And in this rebuke, I love this because it gives me a vision for Jesus' vision of my life. That he wants to take me to a place that's beyond Fear. He wants to take me to a place beyond worry. Why are you, do you still not have faith? And what I want you to do is, is I want you to catch, this is the peace that Jesus is offering to leave his disciples on this last night. They're in the midst of a huge emotional storm. He's leaving, the world's falling apart. And he says, I have a gift I wanna leave. It's gonna be an incredible gift that you're gonna need. And the gift is my peace. Catch that. Not, he says, I, not the peace the world offers. So the world offers a version of peace, but it's peace when circumstances are great. It's a peace when the, when the sea of our life is calm when there's no problems with the job, when we have good income coming in, when money is doing well, when our kids are healthy, when, we're all, when there's no sickness on the horizon, when, when life is going smooth, that's the peace the world offers. But that's not the peace Jesus is offering. He's offering them a supernatural peace, not based on their circumstances, but based on a person. He says, My peace I give to you. So, so here's the first thing the first, Jesus offers, he gives them uh, this gift of peace. Now, at least in number two. But there's a second side of this gift of peace. As we're going to see, this peace is not something that. We, that he just offers, it's something that we need to receive, something we need to, if you will, unwrap. And so the second principle goes like this that we receive the gift of peace. There's a responsibility, Jesus, that we bear. Like when those presents come to my door, I have to take them in and unwrap them. I have to take the lid off of those cookies before they can do me any good, right? Or bad. Uh, right, so, so Jesus, catch he's offering the gift, but we have to receive it. And so this is what he says. Notice the first half of the verse, he offers it, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. That's the giving, but now here's the receiving. Do not let, underline that word, do not let your heart be troubled, do not be afraid. He challenges us to receive this gift from him. Now, this is interesting because this is the second time this evening that he's been with them that he's told them not to let their hearts be troubled. The first time was at the the very beginning of this chapter where he had just told them that, that one of the band of brothers was going to betray them all. Number two, that Peter, their leader, was going to fail Jesus not once but three times in his moments of greatest need. And by the way, I'm leaving and you can't come. That in this moment where the world is falling apart, Jesus said in the, in the very first verse of this chapter, there in your note sheet, I put it in the inspired version, the 1984, uh, do not let your hearts be what? Okay? So he just said, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. But here he said it earlier in the evening. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. So he's kind of giving us the bridge between these giving and receiving. What he's telling us is that that in order to receive this peace, that our trust in him has to grow. In fact, there's a relationship between fear and faith in our life, isn't there? The greater the faith, the less the fear. The greater the fear, the less the faith. There's a connection. And so Jesus says, hey, the key to accessing my peace, the key to unwrapping it is growing in your trust in me in fact that's exactly what he told his disciples in the midst of the storm he said "Um, why are you why why are you afraid why why is your fear so great he says "Um, do you still not have faith like if they had faith they wouldn't been afraid this is the key and so so it's this confidence in jesus that has to grow in our life uh, in order for us to access and unwrap this peace now I wanna focus in on this word trouble, all right? Twice Jesus says it, do not let your hearts be troubled. And this is a a very important word, so I wanna do a deep dive. Um, For for those of you who've been with us in this second series, you'll remember this word, maybe you'll remember it, Um, because this word for troubled is the Greek word tarasso. Do you remember that? We talked about it a few weeks ago. So I'm going to spell it for you again. I want you to visualize it. We're going to be using it a lot today. So in Greek, uh, if you transliterate it to English, it would be like this, T-A-R-A-S-S-O, T-A-R-A-S-S-O. So if you were here a few weeks ago, you may remember that if we were to look up a Greek dictionary of the New Testament, it would define tarasso as being like stirred or shaken up. St shaken up. It's like, um, it's like having an emotionally, when we use it to describe our emotions, it's like having a storm in our soul. To be Taro is like of a, storm, or a storm, a storm of worry, a storm of fear, a storm of despair, depression, that, that, that's to be Tarsso. Um, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus, uh, Jesus is walking on the water. And it's at night, the middle of the night. The disciples see him in the midst of a storm. They freak out. They're scared to death. They think it's a ghost. Matthew says they were terrified. That's the word, terasso. all right? Now, what's interesting, I want you to catch this. Twice in this passage, John 14, Jesus has said, do not let your hearts be tarassoed. twice, okay? But here, did you know that Jesus sometimes had his soul tarassoed. Now, this is interesting. Earlier, we talked about the peace of Jesus, but was it always at peace? No. There are times when he was tarassoed. And we see this on the last week of his life. In fact, John uh, told us about this earlier. We're going to see it a couple times. So, The first time is the very last week of his life. Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. It's Sunday uh, to the praise of the crowds. This is in preparation for Passover week. But as he comes in, there's an event that triggers Jesus and helps him to realize in a fresh way how this week is going to end. And we're told that when this flash came to him, it triggered a storm in his soul. He was terasot. And this is how, Mark, how John describes it there in John 12. When this event happened, and we won't go back and talk about the event just for the sake of time, but he says, when it happened, it triggered him. And he said, now my soul is what? Guess what? Yeah, terasot. That in this moment, Jesus sees what's, what's happening, what's going to happen to him, and it's like a, a sudden squall comes up in his soul. But what I want you to notice is, is how Jesus takes hold of his heart, so it's not terasa. I want you to watch how he does it. So what he does is he instantly turns to his father and he says, now my soul is troubled. He says, what shall I say? In other words, how shall I respond to this impending storm? He says, should I say, Father? And he turns to his father, save me from this hour uh, so I don't have to go through this. And then he, he takes hold of his heart. And he says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Like, I, I was born for this. And then he says to his father, Father, glorify your name. So what we get is a very, like a flash flood in Jesus' life. Like it hits really fast, but Jesus very quickly turns to his father and he holds on to his heart and the peace is restored. But as we get closer to his arrest, we see uh, on the last night of his life, like, like here in John 14, it's early in the evening, he's still total at peace, isn't he? Yeah. But later in the evening, I remember after he leaves, they're going to go through the city, they're going to go down the Kidron Valley, they're going to go up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, and when they get there, the other gospels, John doesn't describe this, I think Maybe you know, maybe because the others had done such a good job. But in all, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they describe this intense wrestling that Jesus goes through. And he goes through up there, and you remember three times he goes away to pray. And, and do you remember that that how that's described? I mean, he falls on his face. He, it's so intense, he's sweating like drops of blood. Um, he in in Hebrews chapter five, it describes this event and it says he was, he was crying out to his father with loud cries and with tears. They don't use the word, but it's a picture of a man who's deeply terasot. But he's doing exactly the right thing. He's not taking it to his disciples, he's taking it to his father. And catch this, he is being Radically honest. Men and women, if we want to experience the peace of God in our life, when we go before the Lord in times of storm, we cannot pretend. We, we have to go in the spirit of the Psalms of, of radical honesty. And Jesus is modeling that. And do you remember how many times he went to pray? Three times. What does that tell you? He didn't get the answer after number one. He wasn't at peace after number one. He came back to check on his men and he said, I I need to go seek the Lord again. And he went to seek his father again three times. But by the time he came back in the third time, he had recaptured his soul. And he was no longer to And from that point on he is a picture of confidence and peace in the greatest crisis of his life that that he is the one in charge in fact when the when judas comes in the roman we'll see this when we get there that when they they said we're looking for jesus he said i am and they all fell on their face He was now in charge. His soul was no longer tarassoed. The peace of God was with him, and he was in control. And from that time on, you're going to see it as we get there. He's going to go before Annas. He's going to go before Caiaphas. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be blasphemed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be whipped, but he never loses his peace. And when he gets after he's been whipped and he's taken before Pilate the last time, and Pilate says to him, don't you realize who I am? I have the power to crucify you or to release you. And you're not gonna talk to me? And Jesus says, you would have no power except what the Father has given me. Therefore, the one who turns you over to me has the greater sin. Amen. He's a picture of peace. He's a man that hours before was deeply terrasoed, but he took that to the Father. And there, the Father met him, and he regained his peace. Amen? Amen. 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 So, so later in the New Testament, the apostle Paul gives us some very clear teaching of what to do when we're Terasa. And uh, we've seen Jesus model it, but Paul is going to explain it. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Signs of Path to Peace. And so so in this section, uh, the, the, you see a very famous passage there from Philippians 4. But before we look at it, we need to see the context. much Much like uh, you know, when we read uh, John 14, 27, peace I give to you, You know, we put it on our plaques, but we forget when it happened. Right. We, we forget that this was at the lowest point of confusion and depression that these men had ever had in their life. And, and, and like those words take on new power when you see when they were spoken. And in the same way, we, we need to understand the context of Philippians. When Paul writes this, these words to them Paul is in prison very likely in Rome he doesn't know whether he's going to be executed or released and yet he writes this incredible letter, letter where he's totally at peace and confidence in fact we call the letter to Philippians the, the letter of joy because he uses the word joy more in this letter than any other New Testament letter And so here's a man in prison doesn't know he's going to live or die but he is just he is in a great spot He's in a place of peace. He's in a place of confidence. He's able to speak peace into their life. In their lives, they're in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony, and they're experiencing significant persecution. And so, Paul is writing to them about how to find the path of peace that he's already living there. He's already living in a land called peace. He's in prison, but he's living in a land called peace. And he's writing to people who are persecuted who have not found the way home. And so he's telling them, this is the path to peace in the midst of your persecution. And this is what he says. He says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. Underline that. How many of you believe that? Don't show your hands. How many of you believe that? Like, I struggle with that. Like, our, I mean, if we're just being really honest here, I, I'm like, I'm still working this through. This is another passage I've been memorizing and meditating on for about two years. And, and it's like, really, Jesus, anything? You know what it says in the Greek? Instead of saying, do not be anxious about anything, it covers that in two words. Never worry. Never worry. And I, can I tell you, in my own life, I, I am still, I'm, an also, I'm still processing this with Jesus. Like, do you mean like never? Like, do you mean that there, I should never live in fear? That's your, like, are you sure? So I'm thinking there may be some times where it's bad enough. But he says, do not be anxious, friend. Never worry. He says, but what you need to do in every situation, when you you feel the storm rising, when you feel your storm, the storm clouds brewing, when your soul is starting to get tarassoed, okay, in every situation, by prayer and petition. That's what Jesus did, right? In both these scenes we saw from him. Went right to his father. Remember how honest he was with thanksgiving. In other words, that in these times of crisis, remember who Jesus is. Remember what he's already done for you. Remember what he's done in the past. Like, like, set some context to your, your prayers. He says, then present your requests to God. Right? Like the Psalms do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you taking so long? Why do my enemies triumph over me? How long, O Lord? That's that's honesty, right? That's honesty. I feel like a worm. My enemies surround me, the bowls of Bashan encircle me. God, where are you? I'm calling out to you, How long, O God? That's the kind of prayer, it's honest prayer. It's not pretending we're doing better than we are. Remember, loud cries and tears. Jesus is modeling. So he says, present your requests to God. And he says, and if you do that, the peace of God. I want you to think about it just for a second. The peace of God, God's peace. When's the last time you think God was worried? When's the last time that he was afraid? The peace of God, think about that. He's never out of control. He's always working his plans. He never looks at your life and says, wow, I never saw that one coming. Let's get Gabriel. We need a counsel. We need to figure this thing out. Gosh, geez. There's, uh, there's Sarah there. I see Sarah, my friend Sarah. Oh, we don't know what's going to do with Sarah's life. We don't know. Like, hey, I never saw, there's, there's Reed. Never saw, like a Reed's life. You know, he's married to Mally, my assistant back there. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, we, we need a big one here. Reed and Mally, they got a situation in their life. We didn't see this one coming. Uh, are you with me? God is never afraid. God is never afraid worried. God is always in charge of his creation. And this is the peace he invites us into. His vision for our lives, and we're on a journey, right? I'm not there. I'm on journey. His vision for our lives is a life without fear. His vision for our life is a life beyond worry. His vision our life is a life that's anxiety-free. Remember what Jesus said? Why do you worry about your life? What you put on, what you wear. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Don't you think you're more important than them? His vision is a life beyond worry. And Paul says, present your requests and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. You know, when we get in a jam, I don't know about you, but the way it is, is our mind starts looking for a solution. And it's, it's furiously looking, how can this work out? But, but Paul says there's a peace that's beyond understanding. It's not about understanding how it's gonna work out. It's about knowing the one who will work it out. And he says the peace, well, he said that peace that transcends understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds. I love this. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, which means it was an intentional, it was a city that was intentionally started to be like a little Rome. It was run by all Roman laws and Roman traditions, and the official language was Latin. It didn't matter where it was in the empire. And they would often populate it with retired soldiers, give them free land. It was a way of importing Roman culture and Roman garrison to an area. And so in this, this military town, city, Paul uses a military metaphor the Christians who live in this military town, he says, you know what? He says, you know, your your worries and your fears, they're like your enemies that are attacking the walls of your city and they're trying to conquer your heart and conquer your mind. He says, but if you'll you'll bring your fears to me, if you'll present your requests, he says, the peace of God will come and guard you like a wall. It will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. It will keep you in Christ Jesus, where he lives, in his peace. And so, this is his vision for our lives. And as we head into Christmas this year, my question for you is where are you worried? What are your fears? What causes you anxiety? Because what Jesus is coming to us this Christmas season is with the gift of peace. Amen. You know, I don't know about you, but this last couple of years has been, <laughs> they've been some hard years, haven't they? This is our second year in COVID, second Christmas, and it's our second COVID Christmas, you know? You used to have a white Christmas, now we have a COVID Christmas. (laughs) It's like, pretty soon we should have some Christmas carols, you know, about COVID Christmas. Uh, Candles, COVID, Christmas, you know. Um, But it's our second year. I mean, last year, we weren't even meeting. Do you remember that? Remember the two weeks that we were gonna, it was gonna take to get over this? to slow this down, like we're, we're approaching two years and it's been very stressful, hasn't it? I mean, it's been two years, we have COVID, we've got social distancing, we have masks, we have vaccines, we've got uh, lockdowns, we've got businesses being shut, we've got livelihoods being dramatically impacted. We've got working at home. So, so many of you are working at home. We've got, we're homeschooling kids, something we said we would never do. We've got social unrest. We've had riots in our streets. We've had rapid social change. We've had unrest with law enforcement. We've had new ideologies. Unleashed in our culture. If you have young children, you've got, and you're, and you're sitting into a public school, you're having to figure out well, how, how do I protect my children from this new teaching that's being introduced at kindergarten levels about their sexuality? We've got political chaos on the right and on the left. We have We've got a, a country so divided. We have churches divided. There is so much to Tarasso our souls. Is there not? Yeah. I don't know about you, but over these last couple years, there have been so many times when my soul has been tarassoed. And The way God has wired me is that He's wired me to see the future. And I don't mean like a prophetic gifting. He's just just wired me that I can see the implications long before they happen. And often I see what's happening in the church. I see what's happening in society. I see where our country is going. And I found myself leaping ahead five, ten years, and my soul has been deeply tarassoed. And can I tell you, more than any other time in my life, Jesus has been calling to me that I have got to constantly be going back to my father. I've got to constantly be going back. And can I tell you that never once has he said, now is the time to be worried. never once, that every time he reminds me who's in the boat with me, every time he reminds me of who I am and who he is and that all things work together for good to those who love him and he is in control of his universe and he will lead us and guide us and he never wants me to be cowardly He never wants me. But can I tell you, I have to go back again and again to have the peace of Jesus guard my heart and my soul because these are a time that try men's souls. Amen? Amen. And so in in this Christmas season, this is the gift that Jesus is leaving at our doorstep. Right? He's the ultimate Amazon, right? (laughs) And he has left this incredible package outside the door of your life. And he comes to you and he says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So hold on to your heart. Do not let your soul be to Remember who you are. Remember who I am. Bring your storms to me and I will meet you there and my peace will guard your hearts and minds. And together we will move into a future confidence of who we are come hell or high water. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we come in Jesus' name. And I I say that. I I use those words intentionally. I come in the name of Jesus who told us to not let our hearts be terrasa. And so, Lord, we come during this week, wherever we're at, whatever we're facing. And, Lord, we pray that you would be teaching us how to bring our fears, our worries, our anxieties to you so that you can speak silence over the waves and have peace return as you guard our hearts and minds. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I've asked Lauren and Logan to sing a song over us today. And as they sing, I just encourage you to let these words just flow over your heart. Just just listen along. The words will be on the screen. And just take it in as you reflect on what we've learned today. Lord, we we commit this time to you. We press your Holy Spirit will be here to be applying your promise to our life. We pray in your name.